0: Was he practicing? Was he ri- like was he writing? Because I know he wasn't just coming off the top. No pen. I remember an
2: artist one time, I'm not gonna say no names because he's not in good shape right now, but I remember doing a song <laughs> with an artist, right? And he we went in the studio, he gave Big a pen and a pad, and Big was like, all right, thanks, then pulled out a bunch of weed and started crushing up on the pad. So I had to go use the bathroom. Check it. I went to go use the bathroom. So I'm in the bathroom taking a shit. So the dude comes in on the phone, he's calling his labels, like, hey, yo, look, I can't work with this dude. He's crazy unprofessional. You know what I mean? I give him a pen and paper. He get, he start crushing his weed up on it. Like two hours don't went by. So now at this point, I'm done, but I can't get up, because he know I'm with big. I'm waiting for him to get out of the bathroom. You know what I mean? So I'm like, damn, I got my feet on the door. And I'm like, damn, this dude here, man, just get the hell out of the bathroom. So then I go back to the room, I tell Big, I'm like, hey, yo, homeboy was just on the, on the phone call talking about how unprofessional you are and dah, 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 da. He didn't know I was in the bathroom, but Big was like, well, he don't know how I work. So then Big about another hour went by, you could see dude getting stressed. Dude was like, yo, y'all set up in there, I'm ready. And homeboy was just like, you ready? You didn't even write nothing down. Big was like, I don't need to write it down. I'm ready, set me up and went in. But he gave Big a pen in the pad, Big said, thank you. Like he knew that's what he needed to crush his weed up on. <laughs>
0: Biggie Smalls, the Notorious B.I.G., is one of the greatest MCs of all time. And when a new documentary about him came out on Netflix called I Got a Story to Tell, I was like, I don't need that. I know that story. No. I watched the doc. It's fantastic. I learned a lot about him. I was super entertained. It is a fantastic documentary. Definitely check it out. I talked to the director Uh, One of Biggie's friends and one of the people who are running Biggie's estate, who of course was a friend, but is now running the estate to take care of his kids and make sure that everything is good for them. This is an extraordinary conversation. If you want to listen to half of it, you got it. If you want to listen to the whole thing, go to patreon.com slash show for $5 a month. You subscribe to us on Patreon. Help us keep this show going. Let's get into it. It's the Biggie documentary. I Got a Story to Tell on Tore Show. Oh man. D Rock, friend of Big from the very beginning. How are you? I'm good, bro. How you doing, man? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah, Wayne managed him from woo from early early how are you I'm blessed brother how are you I'm good and Emmett you came and went did you did you ever meet him or when did you become f- a fan of Biggie's
3: Yeah never met him about the same age we both have a lazy eye but but that's about <laughs> all we got
0: so. <laughs> Yo let me keep it 100 with you cuz there's been like a lot of hip hop documentaries I lived the culture from Rapper's Delight. So a lot of them I watched, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You can't really teach me nothing because I lived this culture. I wrote about it. So when it's like, okay, Biggie documentary, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, you ain't going to teach me nothing about Big. Like, I know Big (laughs) from, like, the day one from partying bullshit. So, like, you know, whatever. (laughs) And then I watched the shit, and I was like, yo, this shit is crazy. I learned a lot. I, 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 you took me back to the feeling of the ride of like him starting, you know, and going through it. But just like musically, you know, when you have him and Max Roach and you're explaining the relationship between him and the jazz man down the street who he met, who he knew, who helped him understand, and I was like, yo, it is like bebop, jazz, drum rhythms it's not a normal like hip-hop flow which like you know incinerates the beat but like moves with the beat in its own way i hadn't really thought about it in relation to like hip classic jazz drumming before d-rock i thought that was crazy had you made that connection for yourself
2: I I told Wayne Emmett that the other day. I was like, yo, when I saw that, I'm still learning. How about that? That sounds crazy. (laughs) I learned that. I was like, okay, that's the little secret. And then when the guy was actually playing it, I was listening, I look, I said, yo, and being in the studio with him, I see it. So it's a different, I got, you know, like a different vision of it. So I can see. I think Wayne agreed on me on that too. We both was looking at each other like, okay.
0: That's some other shit right there. Yeah. That was was
2: definitely. It makes sense.
0: Yeah. It does make sense. It does make sense. Emmett, um, um, I mean, where did you start thinking about putting them together like that with that that, that that Max Roach piece and creating that that jazz relationship?
3: Yeah, just all these things came from being able to sit and talk with everybody, from Miss Wallace to, to D-Rock to Donald, before I had to sit and interview them. Normally, you kind of just get thrown into the spot. This one, I got a minute to meet everybody discuss things and narrow in ideas. And that was something talking to Donald that he said that. And then we we're like, hold a minute, let's dig in deep there. And then he called me back a week later saying, I remembered the song. It was Max Roach and Clifford Brown. And then I was able to go into that interview with him with a real point of view and a story I was really looking to chase. And that that was just a real advantage due to the access I had in this project. You know, I really got the keys to the castle.
0: Wayne, one of the moments that leaps out at me that just sticks in the memory is Miss Wallace saying that she was mad at him uh, after he died when she found out how much he was doing in the street and that he had brought crack into the house. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I, I mean, as I was in her house, I know the relationship. I know how much he loved her and how much you know she loved him. And just to think, but I mean, you think about it, somebody dies and you'd be like, all is forgiven. She's like, no, nigga, you brought crack into my house. What is wrong with you? And, and, he, cl- and he clearly was lying when she threw out the shit. He didn't tell her, "Uh, mom, that was like fifty thousand dollars you just threw out." Yeah,
1: that's funny. Yeah, she she says a lot that she would have kicked him if he was here. <laughs> he says that a lot But you know D-Rock can actually Speak more to that Story specifically Because he was there he had to help him pick it out The garbage <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Wait D-Rock Tell the story What happened
1: Well I mean We um,
2: actually Finished cooking You know what I mean And uh, we set You know Set it on the Windowsill to dry In his room He had like a, You know the windows, That window With the fire escape So we set it there And I think we Maybe went downstairs Definitely no smoking In the house Forget that, you know what I mean? So we went downstairs to smoke, and then um, we came back up. As soon as he opened the door, she was like right at the door and was like, hey, yo, how many times I got to tell you about leaving these, dish- these dishes in your room? You know, when you uh, eat at night, uh, put it in the sink. So we, he, he looked at me. Um, he's like, what dishes? She's like, the dish you left on the windowsill with the hard mashed potatoes. We was like, he's like, all right, Ma, you to like brush by her real quick to like get to the kitchen. You couldn't say no. He's like, all right, Ma, all right, all right, all right. So we went to the kitchen. We, we was hoping that she didn't put it in actual sink. The good thing is she scraped it in the garbage first and then washed the plate. So, you know, he was like, all right, I'll grab the garbage. Like we was digging through that garbage like homeless people. We had like barbecue sauce, everything on it. <laughs> Yo, I'm telling you. And and it still went. It was like, yo, okay. The baby was like, yo, y'all, y'all got y'all got flavor. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: unfortunately. Yeah, it's different. Uh, so you're still able to rack that day, shit baby. up and sell it. Yeah,
2: we had to. We had no choice.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy. You know, I, I appreciated. Um, the Jamaica relationship that you talk about? Because Jamaica has a massive impact on American culture, of course, but on hip-hop culture. And um, the brothers who have a direct connection to Jamaica almost have an advantage in this. And and having an uncle and having a direct relationship with the island definitely has an impact on his music and his sound and everything.
1: Well,
0: I and mean, to speak to that. Or go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead. Yeah. Speak to that. I, mean, that, I,
1: was, I was just going to say that... Um, it does, right? But um, what's crazy for Christopher is that um, I think the influence was more about him as, as a person, right? Um, that triggered into the other thing. The other things for him didn't matter at that point because I don't think he was thinking about those things the way that we're seeing it now, right? So going to see his Gigi and his uncles, that was more of a, a, a thing where, you know what I'm saying, a boy gets to get out of what he's normally seeing every day and go to the countryside, and you're eating from the land, you're watching goats run up and down, like, you're doing things that you don't get to do, you know, jumping off of cliffs into, you know what I'm saying, this beautiful blue water, like, those things right there, I think, you know what I'm saying, when we went to Jamaica to film that, 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 that piece really stands out to me a lot, just like you spoke about the jazz piece, but Jamaica really just brought it home for me because it made me understand how dialed in he actually was to his culture, because most people didn't even know he was Jamaican. Right. Right.
0: You know, we well, can,
2: can hear it. Can, I, can em, I chime em, in real quick,
1: please? Yeah, please. on that, I got a a,
2: a two minute voicemail from Khaled last night. A voice message actually talking about that. He said that he was so. He said that was one of his favorite parts—the fact that Big went yo. back there every year and embraced it. Like he talked. I can. I can. I'm gonna send y'all the message. Like he really, really appreciated that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I, and I was like, hey, yo, that was that was Emmett. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like he was like, I think that was like the dopest shit in the world. Uh, talk about that jamaican
0: section and the jamaican influence and not just having jamaican family but having somebody who was in the musical culture of jamaica
3: yeah it was incredible i mean from my first lunch with miss wallace at the red lobster up in the poconos um (laughs) you know that story really stood out her roots her upbringing and then the fact that that big went there every summer not just once twice but literally every summer of kind of his formative years, and then to go there and and meet his grandmother and meet the uncle and have the uncle walk us around with big son CJ showing us where they used to like cut rhymes together. And then to sit there, you know, and watch his uncle grab the mic that night and Miss Wallace say, I've never even gotten to see him sing in front, out in public like this. You felt it was just, it was in the family. It was in the house that he was raised in in that it was just how he was raised it was part of his culture his lifestyle and of course we got excited by that because again we're looking to tell a story about a guy that you know there was a few photos that existed and that's it so we had to you know also be thinking away things we can put on camera and Jamaica just was the perfect way wayne will attest to kick this movie off we felt we were making something much deeper you Mm, know hell yeah yeah. and it lit everybody up i got to then show d-rock that footage to get him excited to share his stories and i got to show puff that footage and everybody you know was was kind of giving me you know the the encouragement i needed to keep charging and making this film
0: i mean one thing i see when i interview mcs they'd be like no, I have no influences. I just started rhyming and <laughs> writing, and I just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, you know, maybe now they might talk about Jay-Z, or they might talk about Rakim. But this does a really great job of explaining how he had lots of influences. And you touch on the Kane influence of so Big. <clears throat> but you really dig into the R&B influence of him and how he was kind of like an R and B singer in a way, or he 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 took that vibe into his hip hop. Um, and, and, you know, I, I love it when you you pointed him and he just sings a line, like because he's clearly yeah. like just that's that's in his heart. Yeah. Uh, D Rock, talk about like just the R and Bness of hmm. of Christopher.
2: I mean, a lot of it is humor because we kind of shared like the same personality. Like Big will sing a song mimicking the person. As a joke, but I can actually sing it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, it can't cover all this, but that's not what I told them. It's like, even with the film, it's like you kind of get to meet the artist before the rapper. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can, you, you know, you know what I mean? It's like introducing the artist. Like, it's a lot of like everybody hits me. That's like their first thing was like, hey, yo, say what you said. When, when I thought that I knew everything, it's like, I actually learned something from this. So I think we hit our mark. That was the goal to actually learn about Christopher Wallace. So you learn in the artist before the actual rapper, like, you know what I mean? So like he would hit anybody note, like anybody. We listened to a lot of Isley brothers and all that. So that's what we would ride around and listen to. We wouldn't, we didn't ride around really listen to hip hop unless it was just, we was on our way home from the studio. And then even then he would only listen to his music from the time we left the studio. He just recorded it until we got home. Once we got home, that was it. That was yesterday news. He didn't want to hear it again. On to the next, you know what I mean? And then we would ride around all day, listen to an instrumental or R&B.
0: I think one of the critical moments of the film and of course of his career is the, <clears throat> the battle on the street with Supreme yeah. and uh, re- t- take us back to that day. Cause he was, he's out in Fulton. There's this little guy who got rhymes but he's tiny right. and big, yeah. like big, ha- I mean, it wasn't a structured battle because big had to take the microphone out of yeah. his head. We had actually then-
2: just w- walked up. We had, we was out there with like 50 grand. just bring his music out where it was in front of us, like a little pool hall. We used to go in there and play pool. So like just on the weekends he would bring his music out. So we just happened to come down there. And then, um, but Free was always known for like the little rapping guy. Like, and he was older than us too. Believe it or not. he's little, but he probably was older than us then about five years. So he actually was a grown-ass man then. We were kids. So <laughs> <laughs> He's actually a grown-ass man. But he was known for all that little stuff, you know, the battling in the parks and stuff like that. So he didn't really see Big coming. He thought, like, oh, man, I'm about to get this dude. Like, he was saying all his little fat jokes and stuff like that. And when Big took that mic, it was like, oh, shit. Like, I played myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, dude was just like – and I didn't really – wasn't really familiar with the battling thing. So he was like, kind of like dissing big. So like, like you pointed out in the, in the, in the movie, like, it's like, I'm, I got a washcloth. I'm wiping you know, wrapping my hand up. Like we got to beat this dude up. And then my guy's like, no, this is how this goes. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is part of the art of this. I was like, I didn't know we was new. I was like, why is he just like talking about his eye, his weight, his big lips is like, I'm like, what the hell is going on like, I thought we were supposed to be having fun. You know what I'm saying? So then they like, they're yeah. like, no, this is the fun rock. Like, chill out. Like, you know what I mean? Put your washcloth back in your pocket and Man. relax. Like, you know what I mean? So we didn't see that one coming,
1: though. Hang <laughs> on <him. laughs>
0: We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer.
3: It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor.
0: I'm Katy Perry.
3: This is the story of the original influencer. This is... Is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Hey, peeps. It's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at Patreon.com slash Woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
0: Wayne, the film does a great job of talking about how when you go, like, say, from the moment from Supreme to really getting on with Puff right. it's touch and go people. And big is like, don't gas me up. I don't want to you know, have my, my heart broken. Right. It was not like, here's this transcendent artist. He walks in a game and bam, it's on. It right. was, it was like, this may or may not happen. And within between him getting signed and him blowing up, Puffy got fired and kicked out of Uptown records and had to go create his own new situation. So that mm-hmm. whole period was definitely like, Is this going to ever happen? Who knows if it's really going to happen?
1: I mean, it was one of those things that, um, I I mean, it's crazy. You you could write books about this shit all the time, but um, it was kind of a difficult place for him to be in, but even more of a difficult place for Puff to be in, knowing the place that he's in, right? How am I going to pull this guy back from these streets, knowing that he got to feed his family, especially when I'm, you know what I'm saying, living where I'm living and how I'm living. So I think that... um, that in itself, really, I think, kind of signified a point in Big's life where he became a man, right? Because mm, he, because he already had his daughter right. at that point. But by that time, Tiana Te- was, was on her way. She was on her way at that point. She wasn't, okay. woman, right, Rob? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So that North Carolina move definitely could have just squashed it all, right? Well, go on. Let D Rock take it from here because he can kind of kind of push the story together in a way that really makes more sense in terms of why the transition and that choice was made. Well, honestly, this one is so
2: raw. When everything that you just said, when naturally Puff got his new situation, we were in North Carolina and got the call. was like, hey, yo, you know what? Need to come back up. And we was debating, debating on it. Like, should he come back up or not? Should we come back up? And he was like, well, you know what? Jan's about to have the baby. We got a free ticket up there. We ain't got to pay for it. Let's just go. You know what I mean? Or we can keep the money that they paid for the plane ticket and add to the RIA.
3: You know what I'm saying?
2: (laughs) And then come back down without nobody knowing. So I was like, well, you know what? Let's just go. I kid you not. We got up to New York, called back down there to tell them that we made it safe. And the police answered the phone in the house. That's when the decision was made. It was a wrap.
0: The police answered the phone. In North in, Carolina. In a, we got a right, Because you did not talk about, he did, what, six months in prison like in North that, Carolina? Island, yeah, he
2: went to Rackers Island. That was, that was like a horror story. Ms. Wallace, boy, that was when she was at her worst then, boy. Yeah. When he ended up going to Rackers Island, she bailed him out and stuff like that. But he didn't do any time in North Carolina. That also was something that happened on Fulton Street, just like a little light possession or something. But when we left North Carolina... To come to New York and just let everybody know we were safe. We called where we were, and the police picked up the phone and we just hung up. <laughs> but
0: like, wow. you still got arrested anyway.
2: Yeah, and still
0: got arrested. <laughs> 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 they don't they, they don't quit. No. <laughs> they, so I mean, Emmett, like you you had you got this subject who and you portray this really well, who really had one foot in the hip hop game yeah. and one foot in the street. And I remember. Huff screaming on him like, yo, we got to be focused on this because you could change your life. And he's like, well, that sounds good, but I'm doing this steady work over here. And, what you know, like it it, it was back and forth for for a while.
3: Yeah, yeah. I tried to treat it like every hero's journey. You want to know that there was some brushes where this maybe we'd all not be talking about this, you know, and those things were important. If you're arcing out a movie or whatever it is, you want that second act. To kind of build and and have moments where maybe it won't happen. And, you know, again, in classic storytelling mode, those were the important things to bring out. They were also real critical to play up against his mom and and this idea that she thought one thing was going on and really another was. And that that again was something I saw clearly from doing her interviews first and then getting to talk to all the friends, like, whoa, we're miles apart on these stories and i realized that was something to embrace and, and make that part of how i could tell this story
0: yeah it was definitely the whole mom really does not know yeah. <laughs> what her son is doing she's working and trying to provide and he's saying i'm doing th- i mean were you d right were you telling her like yeah we're going to school i and mean, then just going to uh- the block <laughs> I used to be, like, under pressure.
2: Like, I didn't even want to, like, if Big would get up and leave the room, I would want to walk with him because I know if I'm sitting there by myself... <laughs> she coming. <laughs> She's coming for me, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was really real. Like, Big you literally had to change his clothes. Like, he'd leave in his uh, uniform and have to put on his street clothes. He had to leave the house dressed in his, in his uniform for school. We went to, I went to public school. So he was in the private school. It was almost like, for me, like, back then, we was living vicariously through each other. like, I wanted his life. And he wanted to be in the street. I used to be like, I'm like, dude, I wish I could wear a uniform to school. So then, like, you know what I mean? You won't be judged. Like, you know what I mean? Where well, I go, We got me and my boys are switching sneakers, switching pants. So when did you wear that? When did you wear this? You you got your uniform. Everybody's dressed alike. And he used to be like, I'm just tired of sitting here. We used to like, really be switching. Like, we used to be like, we could switch each other's lives. Like, our situations would be better. It's crazy, me
0: tell, tell me who he was to you because i know you see him differently than 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 we do he was he was a normal you know he was your brother yeah. in the, you know in the hood before he blew yeah. up you know so who and was we he? had
2: we, we we had like a few things in common as far as like being the only child no fathers like you know what i mean fathers still alive but not in our lives like you know what i mean and we had we really shared the same sense of humor like, Big was really, really funny. Like, we were really get some good to the gut laughs and, like, we found a lot of things funny. And he was, like, a, like, just more than a best friend. But, like I say, like, if, like, Big could have wanted to do anything, if Big wanted to be a fireman, I still would have took the charge for him and went to prison. Just because mm. even him being a fireman, like, that was our only hope anyway. Like, we really didn't see nothing. Well, for me, I didn't really see nothing coming. Like, you know what I mean? So whatever it was he wanted to do, he was, like, a real breath of fresh air for me, just have a real
0: genuine friend, you know? Wayne, who was he? Well, um, well, what started out as a, a client-based
1: relationship turned quickly into um, this big brother, little brother thing. And that would switch depending upon what position he was in. Big had a, a way of teaching you things um, no matter what you knew, um, because of his his sense of just broadness. I never had a problem telling you how he felt, never had a problem telling you about yourself Right, and then laugh about it in the process. So for me, he was a friend, he was uh, an individual that um, has shaped my life in terms of um, of business because he challenged me a lot just in terms of what we had to handle for him. So it kind of took me away from what I was doing with Rex and effect, which is a totally different type of group. Now I get this guy who's just totally ingratiated in the streets. And we got to manage that. His beef is our beef. His joys are our joys. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that's a totally different sense of of understanding. You know what I'm saying? So for me, um, yeah, it, it turns from from a client-based
0: relationship to a true friendship for me. Yeah. Emmett, who was he?
3: Yeah, I mean, I that was kind of the whole premise of this film was figuring out who Christopher Wallace was, you know, because that was something I knew very little about. I was definitely an outsider. To this story. So what I picked up on real quick is that he was a good son and he had a great relationship with his mother. And a they, you know, she did a lot to give him a good life. And that's something I related to, you know, on a real human level. So for me, he feel, felt like a great son and a great friend. That that took me, it wasn't like I didn't think he was that. It just I didn't know the extent of it. So those are the things I and then I also just think he's a incredibly talented artists, you know, on, on the highest of levels. That's what I saw in this. And that's what I tried to tell with this film is to let people pick up that he was an artist, you know, a hungry artist the whole way through. And he was a phenomenal talent. And that's something, you know, sometimes you have to get reminded of that, um, you know.
0: Emmett, is there a story that you you learned through the making of this that really sort of, you know, uh, encapsulates, symbolizes who he really was?
3: Um, yeah, I remember one, one that we kept trying to put in the film. It was a story about his mom told this story when he first went to Jamaica, they, uh, he had this little goat that he was in love with. He just, you know, loved this little goat. And, um, you know, that night the goat is on the dinner table and, uh, and and she said that really affected him in a profound way and he he was very emotional and and if
0: his grandmother spoke of this What does eating healthy mean to you? com slash tore thrivemarketcom slash
2: At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now, with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the Gray Strandom Wing Chair was three sixty nine, now two ninety nine. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99.
1: And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today.
3: Same story, and I think all to say that he was a very emotional guy. You know, he cared a lot. And she then went on to say the next time she saw him cry was when Oli died, and then the time after that was Tupac. Those were the three times that she saw her son get emotional in that way. And that that story had a profound effect on me to know this vulnerability. I I I grabbed a hold of that early and tried to make that be something you felt throughout the film.
0: D Rock, tell me a story about Big. Uh let's see. I mean, I got
2: a uh I mean, I remember a point where where he was at we were actually in the game, in the game where he was actually winning and didn't realize it. Cause we would go down Fulton street and make a right at that flat bush where that McDonald's was right there on the corner, which is still there. And then he would jump out and grab something. and I'll sit with the hazard lights on. So it was like a little, little longer than usual this time. I'm like, damn, what's up with my boy? So he calls the phone. is like, Hey, yo, come inside and get me. I'm like, I'm like what happened? He's like, like I'm stuck in the manager's uh, office. They had to pull me in here. I got swamped by people asking for autographs and pictures. And I think that's when he really realized like, like, yo, I can't be, you know, jumping out to McDonald's more like it's different now. Like that was one of the lessons that we really took to heart because it actually kind of scared him. You know what I mean? It actually kind of scared him. That was like, you know, he was like, damn, like I can't even go get a burger no more. Like, I'm like, I don't think so, bro. So that's when we, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was a good feeling and a scary feeling at the same time.
0: I mean, the the fame grew rapidly for him and i could see where the streets would be like yo we love you we want to touch you want to hug you wanted and he's like "Uh, uh, this is great but i can't just move like a normal person and i mean he had he was taller and wider so he seemed larger than life so he can't just move around and not be noticed yeah he's an inch
2: shorter than me i'm six five big was about six three six four
0: three Yeah. Yeah, I'm
2: six five, so you know they used to say we look like a number ten walking together.
0: <laughs> Wayne, is there a big story that you uh, that comes to mind? Um, I, I, said, I don't really have a story that
1: comes to mind right now. I, I, I will say this: most of the, the 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 things that come to mind with Big with me is related to money. He was always about his money. Um, there was one time, I think it was a show that was supposed to be coming from. it uh, was trying to do a show in, in either Jamaica or the Virgin Islands. I can't remember which one of them it was. and um, the promoter was basically trying to put us in a position where they only wanted two people to travel, and so big and two people. Um, and you know, I called them on it., yeah, I knew what the answer was going to be, but I had to you know bring it to them because there's money on the table. And he said, well, two people. Shit. But well, how much fucking money are they going to give me? <laughs> so <laughs> I, told him, I told him the money they just trying to give. He said, well, hmm, if you get the motherfucker to give us another $6,000, you know, I could leave a couple people home. <laughs> <laughs> Big had those type of, like, moments that would make you just crap the fuck up. Because at the end of the day, I knew he wasn't serious. You couldn't pay him enough for him to leave his crew home. Right. But he wanted me, because I'm bringing this shit to him, he's giving me something to take back to them. Just for me to go back later and
0: say, "I'm ah, not." Nah, he, he ain't doing it.
1: <laughs> so he's setting me up.
0: Right. Um, it, uh, D-Rock, can we talk about the relationship between Big and Pac? The film dives into it a little bit. They were friends, really good friends. Yeah, Yeah.
2: they were really good friends. I mean, I don't know, man. Like they were really good friends. Big was really upset behind his his death and everything. Like Big took that to the heart. Like he was. That's I remember uh, me calling him, and he was like, first thing he said was like, "Yo, Duke didn't deserve that." He was like, "You know what I mean?" He was like, "Dude didn't deserve that. That wasn't supposed to happen to him." Like he was just like so shocked. And hurt by it. Like they used to hang out, smoke together. Pac come in town, give us a heads up. Like we meet him, go some everything. Like we literally hung out. Like literally hung out together. So I don't know where I, that went left.
0: I I mean, I mean, I know when Hushacha came out, Pac took that the wrong way, because I know. Big played that record for me like months before. Yeah, I was doing exactly, a story on him, say, and he yeah. played the record for me. And it, like, I remember we were standing in some office. He played it on a tape. That yep. song is hot to death. And yep. then months later, Pac got shot. And when yeah. Pac was running around talking about he was bragging about him. I'm like, yo, I heard that song. Yeah, a lot
2: of people don't know that. I say that all the time. I said that record been recorded. Yeah. That was actually an interlude beat off Mary's album, one of Mary's albums, something like that. And uh, I think Big was supposed to do an interlude for it. And then Puff and Mary left the studio and came back and Big did the first verse to Who Shot You," And Mary was like, Big, I love you to death, but I'm an R&B artist. There's no way in the world I can put this song on my album. But she said, but I'll I'll give you this beat. You You can never put it out as a single, but you can put it on the B side to anything you want. So then, Big said, "Can I lay another verse?" Then she was like, "Go ahead." And that's when he did the second verse. That's how, that's how that came about. Then they, then they went and got Keith Murray over that beat, right. uh, Yeah, that was originally going I mean, to an interlude.
0: When you start talking about the Pox stuff, um, and you got and you you nail that <clears throat> with the relationship, the friendship with the two of them, you could have gone deeper into the East West stuff, right? And the you know the Faith had twins; she probably had two Pox and all that sort of stuff. So why did you say? I'm going to stay over because there was a period when Puff and Big were taking a lot of incoming, right? Right. You touched on the Source Awards, but you didn't go into that side of it. And to be real, it was Death Row who was like, and Pac, who was like, we're going to get you, and Suge, we're going to get you. Big and Puff were like, yo, we don't want this. We just want to make money. We don't want to have this, right? They were not trying to instigate back the way that Pac and Suge were instigating with them. So why did you not? Go down that route, road. I mean, you know, that's not really our
2: style. Just being like from the East Coast, like this game is like a sport to us. Like a lot of what I've noticed, like a lot of, you know, West Coast guys, like they come right at you. They say your name. They don't play no games. They Some of them build careers off of dissing people, make yeah. albums over it. Over here, it's just a little more clever, a little more fun. Give, give the audience something to figure out. Damn, is he talking about him? Or damn, is he not talking about him? It's more it's more fun, more fun over here. It's like they're a little, little serious over there. And then just wasn't really with it. Like, you know what I mean? Cause there's nothing to really say if it's not true. So he really had nothing bad to say about the guy. He was just so right. upset that the guy had so much bad to say about him. Right. So it's like, you know what I mean? So he really had no reason to really come at him, but it was, it was hard, you know? It was hard for him at the time.
0: For more from me and Emmett and Wayne and D-Rock, join us over at patreoncom a show the party continues over there. There's a lot more conversation about Big and this amazing documentary. Thank you so much to Emmett wayne and d rock for a great interview and thanks to you for listening and thanks to our super producers Britt, marcus harkis noel sam montes jason reynolds greville calais michelle brenda cox kathy f dr kina murphy earl dorsey and theotokas torre show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined you can make your dreams a reality and this show can help you can find me on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show. And of course on Patreon at patreon.com slash Toray Show. Toray Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.